What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mythic Existence. I'm your host, Jack Daly. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Appalachian folk magic. We'll learn about folk traditions for healing wounds, curing illnesses, and how the weather shows portents of things to come. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mythic Existence. So I'm recording this episode during one of the worst outbreaks during the entire COVID pandemic. So just for everybody who's been affected by it, you know, you're in my thoughts generally. Um, But one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is to give people a release from the things in their life that aren't going well or aren't enjoying, aren't enjoyable. So hopefully this episode will kind of act as a sort of release from all of the pressures that we're really all facing in our lives. And this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for several months now, actually. And I'm very, very excited to really dive into this fascinating topic of Appalachian folk magic. Before we really get into everything, I want to kind of cover some house uh, house care. What's the phrase? housemaking items, whatever, whatever that phrase is. I want to just cover some kind of bigger topics for the podcast. First off, uh, you know, if you are listening to the podcast, it would be very, very beneficial if you make sure that you download the episode on whatever platform you're listening to, just so I can really know exactly how many people are listening Because sometimes I don't think that if you download it, that it really counts as a listen. At least that's what I've been led to believe. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel, both on, you know, your podcast app and on YouTube if you are consuming it in that way, which definitely more people are just listening to it on the podcast than on YouTube. Feel free to leave a review if you are enjoying the episodes. You know, like and subscribe, follow me on my Instagram and Twitter pages as well for the podcasts. Just because I feel like we're kind of hitting our strive, our stride on the show, and clearly, since I'm messing my words up a little bit, um, we're not quite there, but we have a little bit of a, a hot streak, I think, going. So. You know, if you're enjoying it, share it, let your friends know, um, tell people about episodes that you enjoy, that you think they would like. Just, I, we're, you know, about a year and a half into this thing, and we continue to trend up, but I'd like to get as much exposure as I can. So if you're enjoying it, just help me out in any way that you can. So without that, let's get into the episode proper. So as usual, I have one main source text that I'm using for this episode. It's not how I always do it, but oftentimes I have one main book that kind of leads into a bunch of the different avenues that we are going to be discovering. And for this episode, that is Backwoods Witchcraft, Conjure in Folk Magic from Appalachia by Jake Richards who, as far as I can tell, is a fairly young man. I think he's in his 30s. I didn't really 
dive too deep into it. Just looking at, you know, the pictures that came up when I searched for him, he looks pretty young. I would say that this book is really, really good. Extremely well written. It has kind of the folksy Appalachian voice to it. It's kind of down to earth. It's not overly academic. The guy isn't an ap- academic. He's a self-proclaimed Yarb doctor, which we'll get into what that exactly means. But it's a really interesting read. I would highly recommend it. And I'm not going to be doing a super, super deep dive on the book because he goes into a lot of details about formulas for, you know, magical rites that they do uh, in the folk traditions in Appalachia. So we first, before we dive into all of that, need to know what we're talking about when we're talking about Appalachia, just where geographically, geographically is this? Traditionally, at least... According to Jake Richards, Appalachia is basically Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. And those are all kind of bound by the Appalachian Mountains, which are a mountain range, one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world. I believe the date that he gives for how old they are is some 500 million years old. So they're extremely ancient. If you know anything about uh, the geomorphology of mountains, the older the mountain, the smaller and rounder they are, as opposed to newer mountains tend to be higher and more jagged. And this is due to the fact that they haven't gone through the erosion that older mountains have gone through over hundreds of millions of years. So at one point, I think the Appalachian Mountains were extremely massive in their size. Today, they're smaller, but still formidable. And part of the interesting thing about the Appalachian Mountains, according to Jake Richards again, is that they were present during Pangaea when the continents were all fused together. And as they broke off, portions of them spread to the United States, where they are today. But part of that mountain range also was present in the British Isles of Scotland and Ireland and England and Wales. And a lot of those people came and immigrated to Appalachia and felt very at home. And so a lot of the folk tradition and the folk magic actually comes from you know, the people, these Scots and Irish mainly that uh, emigrated to Appalachia in the 1800s and, and 1900s, I guess 1700s as well. But mainly the, the Scots and Irish were coming over during the 1800s. So that's an interesting just aspect of this whole entire tale. So the place that Jake Richards starts off in his book is by talking about the importance of the Bible in Appalachian folk magic, which I find very interesting because that's kind of a, you know, it's a point of discussion, it's a point of contention among Christians, which obviously if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I don't identify as a Christian. I grew up as a Catholic. I can be pretty, 
uh, harsh sometimes towards Christians. Christianity, really, not Christians. But this I find interesting because I like how they acknowledge that the Bible is quite magical in itself. Not as being, you know, unique, but as literally having magical formulas inside of it. And so they use these uh, sayings, these formulas in their rites, in their charms, and things of that nature. And even in Appalachia, it's divisive. But at least in his family's tradition, it was just something you did, was use the Bible as sort of a divination device in certain cases. Family Bibles were often passed down and used to record events, and Jake Richards inherited his Bible from his grandfather, at least one of them, and he carried on that tradition. So there's a real sense of tradition, and what a lot of it has to do with is the importance to the connection of the ancestors in Appalachian folk magic, as opposed to some other traditions wherein you try and kind of honor your ancestors or you try and bring them back into this realm, Appalachian folk magic is often aimed at healing the past traumas of their ancestors. And so there's a real sense of uh, the importance of your own actions and your own self and trying to acknowledge your own shortcomings and using sort of magical means to increase um, your your luck and your uh, you know your your love life and really your family situation. It's a very familial practice, uh, at least it seems to me to be. Um, you know, Apple Action Folk Magic is very interested in family ties. For example. Jake Richards' father was said to have had, or his grandfather, had the sight, which is basically having knowledge of future events before they happen. This is something that I think that I have kind of been imbued with. I often have precognitive dreams, and I experience deja vu at a level that is just extreme. I sometimes have literally seen things before they happen in my mind's eye. And so that's kind of uh, one of the signs that you have the gift is having the sight. And people who have that sight and who work with it are referred to often as Yarb doctors. Now in Appalachia, and I'll get into this more later, there's a difference between a witch and a yarb doctor, but oftentimes that line is very unclear, it's very muddy. It often has to do with how others in your community perceive you. So if they if you're in good standing, people will come to you and ask you to, you know, um make a cure for them for whatever illness they're dealing with. If you're a yarb doctor, Whereas if you're seen in sort of a negative light, people will be kind of afraid of what you are potentially able to do. And that'd be if you were a witch. There's also uh, associations with the devil that come with becoming and being a witch that 
a Yarb doctor doesn't have. Getting back to his grandfather, it was said that his grandfather had the ability to um, stop bleeding and to cure bloody wounds, and that he would use a quote from the book of Ezekiel, which I'm going to read from, in order to do this. And this is Ezekiel 16.6, which says, And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. So that's just an example of how they use passages from the Bible to perform their, their magical rites, basically. One thing that is also interesting in connection to the Bible is that Robins were said to have been stained with Christ's blood uh, from the biggest thorn in his crown when it was pulled out. And so Robin eggs are used to cure illnesses and get rid of curses. And it's said that the sticks of the nest keep the devil away. And so things that have biblical associations are often used in Appalachian folk magic which kind of goes along with the law of sympathy and ultimately the law of contagion, which are topics that we've covered in past episodes in which if there's a a link, a symbolic link between two things, there's thought to be some sort of magical connection. And we can see that through the seasons and the magic that is associated with the seasons in Appalachia. Apparently, Appalachia has a very unique seasonality down there, and they have different names for different little micro-seasons that they have. For example, they have what's called Redbud Winter, which takes place in early April, and it was thought that Judas was hanged from a redbud, and this is when the redbud trees start to appear. And it's said that if you stick your knife in a redbud tree on August 21st, it will die. Why August 21st? There was no explanation given. I'm not sure. It probably has to do with some kind of saint's day. Like I said, I'm not sure why it's August 21st. They have what's called dogwood winter. Because it was said that Jesus was crucified on a dogwood tree. And this occurs in in late April. And again, this is when dogwood trees start to appear. They have locust winter. Where lightning strikes um, are often, I guess, more attracted to locust trees. And they are used for divination. So the practice is to dig up a locust tree or a, a locust tree for every one of your potential lovers and to place them in front of the, your house and let nature run its course and let them grow. I think it's for a year. I'm not, I couldn't, I can't remember how long you do it for. And the one that grows the most is going to be the one that is supposed to be your lover. And that's why you're supposed to let nature run its courses because you don't want to influence it. And then they have, what's called blackberry winter. It's said to be unlucky to eat blackberries on or before September 29th. And here's a question that I have. I know that there's some folklore with these dates, like you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day or whatever, but they never say what day you can wear it to. So 
everything is after Labor Day. Everything is also before Labor Day. You see what I'm saying? It has to be, you can't wear it after Labor Day, but once, you know, January 1st comes, then you can start wearing white again. Like, where, if you can't eat blackberries on or before September 29th, which day is before, like, every day after September 29th is also before September 29th. By making any sense. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And anyway, blackberries, it said that when the devil fell from heaven, he spat on a black bush and that it provided the thorns on Christ's crown. I didn't check if blackberries and locust trees and dogwoods and redbuds, if they actually grow in the Levant and in the Middle East, where all of this was supposed to be happening. I have the sense that it did, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they just didn't, and this is just, like, complete made-up folklore. Getting back to how to become a witch and the difference between a witch and a, a Yarb doctor, it's kind of, kind of pretty simple, actually, is that you're supposed to sprinkle dirt over a silver platter while renouncing Christ and saying the Lord's Prayer backwards. That's how you become a witch. And like I said... The intent and your standing in the community is kind of what differentiates a Yarb doctor and a witch. It's kind of what we've talked about in the past between white magic and black magic. If, you have, if you're doing Maleficia and Diabolism, you're going to be a witch, but Yarb doctors are traditionally doing white magic, essentially. There's also a tradition of banshees in Appalachia. And this is because it's believed that the Scots and Irish brought not only their folklore, but their folk creatures over there. And it's actually believed that banshees are little folk. And he gives a couple of anecdotes of banshee stories. One is where a man with a pregnant wife heard some screaming and hollering down in the woods and he went to investigate. And when he got back, his wife and child were dead. The wife had given birth and they both had died while he'd been gone. And the author, Jake Richards, talks about how he heard a very strange sound and a week later, his grandpa died. And so that's traditional Banshee folklore of uh, deaths being associated with their, their screams. There's plenty of protective or apotropaic magic that is carried out in Appalachia. They use the term haints for bad spirits who are said to go after children. So a lot is done to protect themselves and also in particular children from haints. It's said that children are most susceptible to these negative spirits. To protect a child, you can hang yarrow in the crib and iron can be driven into the post of the crib. We've seen iron being used quite commonly as a, an apotropaic source of keeping uh, negative spirits out or binding them to a place like a graveyard. That's why graveyards have iron fences. There's a tradition of feeding chamomile infused milk to children and to protect, protect yourself 
You can carry an iron nail in your left pocket or wrap a horseshoe in aluminum foil and hang it over your door. Or you could just, yeah, they use horseshoes placing facing upwards in a U-shape to protect themselves, and that's usually placed overneath it, over a door. There's what's called a potato charm, where you cut a potato in half, hollow it out, put an item of this the person the the usually this is done if you're being haunted by the ghost or the spirit of somebody that you knew and you take one of their personal items and place it at their grave and that will bind them to the grave a lot of good luck magic is is done in Appalachia the horseshoes would be an example of that they're both apotropaic but also supposed to bring good luck one thing that they do is they place a jar of money on their porch and it's supposed to be only money that you found and this is supposed to bring money in and keep money circulating they also love four-leaf clovers but you're supposed to not actually look for them you can it only counts if you look when you're when you find them if you're not looking and for the youtube watchers the cat is making its Typical appearance on the episode, uh, as always, something that's inevitable. If you find a penny heads up, you should put it in your right shoe. That's folklore that I always was brought up on as well. There are certain things that are bad luck. You can't afford your crops going bad. You're not supposed to open an umbrella inside. And we're not even going to mention the, the cat stuff because my cat is good luck. She's the best little cat. You're not supposed to burn sassafras or pine wood inside, nor are you supposed to burn cedar or dogwood. You can't even bring dogwood blooms inside, and this is because of this or these other you know Christian associations that we talked about with dogwood winter. If you bring a new candle into the house, you're supposed to light it and snuff it out immediately. And my fiance is a candle maker, and I didn't know about this. So from now on, that's what we're going to do. And women are not allowed at coal mines, which I feel like that was probably just a lot of people worked in the coal mines, and they probably were just trying to get away from their women, even though that's not how I view women. But I know that that's just like a thing that people say. Omens and lore play a very big role in planting and harvesting, which of course is very, very important in Appalachia. And they actually use a passage from Ecclesiastes to kind of validate their beliefs in omens and signs. And that quote is, Let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let there be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And I, I think it's, and let them be for signs. So that's just a, a passage that says there's going to be signs that are going to be given to you. And they actually use astrology apparently quite widely. In astrology, every part of the body is ruled by one of the signs. And so that's kind of what they follow. It said that fish won't bite when it's Pisces, under Pisces. Pisces has the association with fish. So again, there's this magical sympathetic connection. Uh, 
your knees are supposed to, are supposed to ache in Capricorn because Capricorn rules the knees. You always want to plant your corn in Leo. You want to get wool when the moon is in Aries, and you never want to tell secrets in Scorpio. Another thing that is do, done for planting and harvesting is to place small tiles in the four corners of the field and one at the center, which symbolize the wounds of Christ. Roots and weather are also watched for signs. Cat is making another appearance. I'm just going to let her walk across. Come sit on my lap, baby. There you go. Um, so cabbage, sorry about that, everybody. Uh, so cabbage with white leaves, that means that there's going to be a death before harvest. So cabbages are kind of like banshees. Aches and pains also are used to predict weather. Shoulders and arm pain means rain is coming. But if you have pain in your, your back or, or the back of your legs, there's going to be an absolute downpour that is especially muddy. And I think that that's a unique area for research. Whenever there's some kind of folklore attributed to things that could be studied scientifically, you know, maybe our shoulders and arms actually do predict rain somehow. If anybody wants a research topic, there's one right there. There's also rites that are done with the body. The head and the feet are very important in Appalachian folk magic. Jake Richards says that the head is the crown of the soul. The eyes are the windows to it, and the chest is its seat. One thing that is done is to take a small sip of red bud and to blow it, or uh, red bud tea, and to blow it on the person's head if they have a fever. Tobacco smoke is blown into ears for toothaches. And new salt is put into new shoes for good luck. So again, there, there's some things, like maybe there is some science behind this folk belief. And I'm, I'm obviously not the person that thinks that science needs to rule everything, but I think that it's interesting when science can actually explain folk belief, a la David Hufford. And... Like I said, there's things that are done to protect you specifically for haints. Here's some more things. You can put coral on your bed to protect the dead from coming into your dreams. And there's also a pretty rich kind of hierarchy of little people. There's different clans that they have for them, such as the rock clan, which are dwarves, the laurel clan, which are tricksters, and the dogwood which are helpers. That's it for today's episode. Appalachian Folk Magic is a unique treasure trove of folk knowledge. Make sure to put your horseshoe facing up above your door. Don't go fishing in the sign of Pisces, and don't forget to use ocean water to heal rheumatoid arthritis. Be sure to follow Mythic Existence on Instagram and Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, and leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. Thanks for listening. See you next time.